Welcome to the Woodland Sermon Podcast. My name is Thane, I'm your online campus pastor, and I'm joined today by our lead pastor, Shannon Waples. Uh, This weekend, Pastor brought part one of our new series, Puzzled by the Bible. Morning, Pastor. Good morning. How are you? Doing good. Stayed up too late last night uh, watching the game. Did you catch much of the game? I did. It was a great game. Oh, it's Well, it's a great game if you're a Tampa Bay fan. I, I will say here that three weeks ago, I predicted this. And then yesterday, while I was on the platform where we played a little game, I also predicted that the Bucks would win. And I feel like I was in a minority. I feel like most people were thinking the Chiefs were going to pull it out. Well, I think people were struck by Mahomes' talent, but yeah. I don't think they had invested themselves enough to educate how ravaged their offensive line was. Yes. So it, it was brutal. And the, yeah, the Tampa Bay defensive line just had their way. Had their way. And so no matter how good a quarterback you are, if you're throwing on the run, I mean, he threw on the run all night. And he so. had some couple of really nice throws on the run. Like, <laughs> he, he had one where he's like laying out and almost uh, horizontal and threw it 30 yards. So <laughs> Mahomes is incredible, but Tom Brady yet again for the seventh time is a Super Bowl champion. You know, I was struck by is afterward the other players who were in Tampa before he arrived, because they had a losing season last year. Mm-hmm. And they said that, Tom's most valuable asset was he taught us to win. And I thought, gosh, you think about the NFL and you think about all the talent that's involved as far as arm strength, accuracy, decision-making. But their one takeaway from Tom Brady is he just thinks like a winner. He knows how to prepare. He knows how to study game film. He knows how to break an opponent apart. And uh, I was so impressed by that because it was consistent from the coach to the players. They all said, we had talent, but we didn't know how to win, and he taught us to win. Oh, that's so good. Well, I mean, he's, what, 43, almost 44 years old. He's one of the slowest guys out there. He doesn't have the arm strength that, like, a Patrick Mahomes has. He doesn't have the, the endurance, like, but he knows the mentality of what it takes to go for 20 years and win seven titles. Like, that doesn't happen by accident. There are some things, some disciplines that he developed to set that up. Well, that's because he went to a school that those who stay are champions. Uh, I'm a Sparty fan, so I love me some Tom Brady, but the Spartan side of me hurts. <laughs> the Spartan side of me hurts. So, all right. So anyways, uh, like I was saying, we started a brand new series. This is going to be an eight part series called puzzled by the Bible. Can you tell me a little bit about the series? What the, what the goal is it of it is as we go through it for the next couple months? Absolutely. So as, as we set in the Bible, we recognize that it can be very intimidating, that it's by far um, uh, short of another Harry Potter Potter novel. uh, It's the longest book that most people will ever pick up and try to read. And it, it can just be intimidating. Some of the language, the genealogies. And so our hope in the series is to allow people not to get, you know, sometimes you can't see the forest because of the trees. And so I've just seen so many people start at the wrong place, process the wrong way, and they're deep in the weeds. And so we want to pull back and say, this is the major storyline of the Bible. And so we're going to take the next, well, this week, all told eight weeks, to really just walk people through what's the major storyline of the Bible. Yeah, that's so critical because it's one of those things that even growing up, like I grew up in the church and the Bible can be daunting. Like, especially like if you read it like a normal book and you start in Genesis, by the time you get to Leviticus or, I mean, or Exodus, like it's, it's a lot. It like, is a lot. The, the genealogies, the, 
there's so much history woven in. Uh, if someone hasn't been able to develop the habit of reading the Bible or is a little overwhelmed by the idea of reading it, what are some tips, some ideas that they can do to start to develop that and actually succeed at it? Great question. Well, we could, we could go practically. There's practically and philosophically. Mm. So let's talk about practically for a second. Um, usually we recommend people, if they've never read the Bible, to start with 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. It's right before the book of Revelation, and it's not that the gospel of John, but it's the, the letters. And the reason is because they're very short. And if you feel like you've done something short, you know, it's like uh, when you start paying off your credit cards, you pay off the lowest one balance first because you need a a win. Yeah, you need to there's an emotional side of it. Yes. So you start there. But the other reason is those three letters talk about how much we're loved by God. And uh, so we, we want people to fill their identity of being a dearly loved son or daughter of God first. And then they can jump over to the New Testament gospels and understand who Jesus is. Um, the other thing is... Uh, the Bible's not written in chronological order, especially in the Old Testament. You've got books that fit together, but there are three books apart. And so there's Bibles actually called chronological Bibles, where it's literally the books are rearranged so that they are chronologically in order. Some people find those helpful. For others, um, some of the old English versions are intimidating. And so there's books out now like called The Message, which would be the Bible in modern language. Now, purists rail against the message and don't even... <laughs> it it takes some liberties. <laughs> yes, and don't even consider it a, a version of the Bible. However, you know, I have incredible respect for Eugene Peterson. Mm -hmm. He would be worth a Google search if you've never heard that name before. Um, and so he, he put together the message. And so uh, here's the thing. Uh, to me... The important thing is people are engaging God's word. Mm -hmm. And so whether they choose the message, the English standard version, the King James, uh, sometimes we make a big deal in our, again, as purists on what version we prefer. The important thing is people who aren't engaging it begin to engage it. Yeah. And it's one of the best tips I had is because I, it was really, I'm not much like you're very academic in your mindsets. You're very, you love the studying. Now, maybe right now in this process of heavy, heavy school as you prepare for your uh, doctorate is a little less uh, mo motivating. But uh, you, I, one thing I've noticed about you is you love to dive in and study. Where naturally, that's not me. Like, I'm, I'm not that way. I'll do it. Like, even going through school right now for licensing and stuff, it's, I took an Old Testament class and it's daunting. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has helped me is someone taught me to read a proverb a day. Like it, it seems like, oh yeah, that's easy. But like, they're really short where you can sit down for five minutes. Yeah. And, but it develops that muscle, it flexes that muscle of like getting into his word. And then you're like, okay, if this is just one book, then what about the gospels? What about this? And you start to educate yourself and it starts to shift your perspective on what the book is. Yes. It's not just a bunch of history lessons anymore. It's okay. There's actual life application inside of this book. Correct. And, you know, it's funny because you just asked and I said there's a practical part and a philosophical part. Let's talk about the philosophical part for a second. Is um, the longer you walk in your Christian faith, the more you want to study God's word. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But the danger we get into, whether you're on one extreme of being the atheist or the other, or the, the knowledge seeking believer 
um, you can begin to study the book academically. Mm-hmm. And that's not, well, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's not the purpose of the Bible. When God speaks to us as humanity, we posture our hearts like the boy Samuel that says, speak, Lord, I'm listening. It's really about internalizing the words through the Holy Spirit to say, how does he want to change and conform me to look like him? The reason that's important is because some will argue the historicity, the history of the Bible. You have to understand in those days, they were telling a story. And so it's not that they meant to mislead people, but their goal was to tell a story, not necessarily to get every detail right. And then when you look at, like, when we take the New Testament, I'm always fascinated that there's over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament in Greek and over 8,000 in Hebrew. So you take this and then then you, you come to the canonization of the Bible and you've got these scholars that are setting down and they're trying to discern which of these documents to choose from. And so... Uh, it's, it's challenging and yet beautiful in the way that God not only orchestrated the writing, but the way it was put together. And so when we approach this, it's interesting because we can start to debate whether something's accurate or... But when we say the Bible is inerrant, it's without error, that means that God, God didn't make a mistake. And it's infallible. It accomplished what his purpose. It's exactly the book that God wants us to have. Yep exactly the book. So I approach it not by trying to disprove it or trying to educate myself, even though that happens along the way. I say, speak, Lord. I'm listening. Yeah. And uh, I love that you mentioned the canonization of the Bible, because for those of those people that don't know what that is, it was the process of taking all these manuscripts that, because the original idea of the scriptures was a much wider spread than what we see today. Correct and taking this and narrowing it down and even that process and then the the message the ESV the NIV even the King James version are all interpretations of that canonization done by people right which means they might not get everything exactly right like but that doesn't change the fact that God can like God can move and speak to you just as much through the message as he can through the new King James like, there's nothing holy right. about older versions. Right. And that's why you have to separate. Is it wrong to study it academically? No. But that's not its purpose. Yeah. Its purpose is to change us. You know, it's it, the reason that's also important is because when you study, there's things that could rattle your faith if you're viewing the wrong lens. Here's one. The book of Proverbs that you mentioned. Yeah. Most of the book of Proverbs predates biblical writing and actually is... Uh, taken from Egyptian literature. And so people would say, oh, well, see, that wasn't from God. They just borrowed that from the Egyptians. No. Whether they learned it from the Egyptians or not, did God want it in the Bible? Yes. And does it accomplish what he purposed? Yes. So it's they're not in competition with each other. Whether God chose to give it to the Egyptians for then the psalmist to write or, or to, for us to have it recorded by Solomon in the Proverbs, there's there's nothing inherently wrong with that. You know, it's funny because the book of Revelation and, you know, here's my joke with the Bible thing. I didn't say this yet. I, I may end up saying this on a weekend too, but here you go. It's, it's not me. When, when I'm with young adults like yourself, I find that most young adults want to talk about three things. 
sex, the end times, and sex in the end times. That's so true. <laughs> so when you talk about the end times, the book of Revelation, do you know in the canonization of the Bible, apocalyptic literature was one of the most popular styles of literature in Bible times. They loved dreaming up what the end times were going to be like. I mean, it's so fun. So the can the people that canonized it, the 400 early church fathers, considered 4,000 different versions of the book of Revelation. Fascinating. Just to pick one. So they had to, they looked at 4,000 different pieces of apocalyptic literature and said, this is the one that's going to be in the Bible. This is going to be our book of Revelation. And we don't think about that because I have people all the time say, oh, we need to do more series on the book of Revelation. I'm like, I don't think it's wrong. I think it says blessed. I know it says blessed is the man or woman that reads it. But even our early church fathers were processing through a very popular genre of literature. Yeah. And so I say, you know what? Yes, let's know about Revelation, but let's study the other 65 books that get us ready for that day. Yeah, and it, it's funny because people people do get obsessed with one topic of the scripture. Uh-huh. Because they, they pick their thing that's going to be their banner scripture and then ignore the rest. Where the thing that's fascinating about the scripture is it is a constant balancing act. Yes. It, it talks about humility, humility, humility. And it talks about be bold. Yes. Be courageous. And then it talks, like it, it just bounces back and forth, back and forth. It, it stays aligned. It never contradicts itself, but it doesn't preach one line of living. Yes. There, there's a balance to it. Uh, it. It's the thing I love most about scripture is, you know, I grew up in a church where they would remind you of all the scriptures that said alcohol was horrible. Mm-hmm. And don't look at, don't look at the juice when it's a certain shade of red. And yet, um, if we're told in the New Testament not to be drunk in excess, then what we're drinking must mean we can get drunk on it. Yep. Um, so, you know, you can take the gift of tongues. Paul almost seems bipolar. One chapter he says tongues is for the believer. Next chapter he says it's for the unbeliever. And you're like, so which is it, Paul? And so I, what I find is they're writing to two extreme audiences on most topics yep. and saying the gospel calls for balance. And that, that's what I, I love about the scriptures is Jesus is trying to say, live your life. I want you to live life to the full. Keep your eyes on me. And that's one of the things I love about just the way that we process life. Because even so, even right now, some people are claiming we are in the end days. We're in the end days. That, that like this is, this is the end. And then you have other people who are like, we're about to experience revival. <laughs> well, which one is it? Like... You, the two are, they're not necessarily opposite of each other, but they're different directions and different perspectives. And how you look at things is how, like how you look and how you read the scriptures will influence how you interpret them. Like if you go in with a certain lens, you're going to interpret scriptures a different way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because since the days of the disciples, Jesus says, Hey, I got to take off guys. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. They thought he was coming back. Soon. Soon. Like in a month. Yeah. So Christians have been thinking it was the end days for 2,000 years. Yeah, it's nuts. So uh, as we're reading scripture, like you said, it is not, we're not just educating. We're having communion. We are getting to know the heart of God. Uh, Another way that we do that is through prayer. Yeah. Like they, they go hand in hand where a lot of times 
Like I love that we just wrapped up a a sermon series that was heavily focused on corporate and private prayer, yeah. and now we're swinging right back into the act of studying the scriptures. So over the next, in line with this series right now, over the next seven or eight weeks, we're going to be doing a time of corporate and private prayer and a season of intentionally going through that with the new launch of our uh, Woodland Prayer Room yep. down in the Woodland Center. What makes that so important? Like as we turn to this, because we've had, we've had people down there, we've had people interacting online in our Zoom prayer meetings at 8 p.m. every night. What makes it so critical for us as Woodland Church right now in this season? Yeah. I, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Brother Lawrence when he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence, that the activities that we do as followers of Jesus is we practice his presence. Uh, again, for most of his life, uh, my grandfather was, was, in essence, a self-declared atheist, but he read the Bible every morning since World War II. Now, I mean, he's long since passed. But as a kid, for years, I remember him getting up at five o'clock in the morning and reading the Bible. For a matter of fact, he spent a lot of time in Proverbs. Why? Because he thought it was a book of wisdom to live by. But he never believed in Jesus until he was truly near death with cancer. And so we know that people can read the Bible as a book of history or a book of wisdom and not be followers of Jesus. Brother Lawrence says, when we engage in worship, whether we engage in fasting, whether we engage in prayer, whether we engage in Bible reading, what we're doing in those moments, because the church traditionally has called those disciplines. Now, I don't know about you, Thane, but if somebody asked me if I would like to partake in discipline, <laughs> my answer is, heck no. And But but when you realize, because it becomes a checklist, a to-do list, and it becomes very impersonal. But when I realize that what Jesus is interested in is he came to restore relationship with us. Mm -hmm. And so when we spend time in his word, it's not a to-do list that we check off. It's a relationship that we foster. So in the same way that I would study that when my wife goes to Bob Evans, she gets a vegetable soup and grilled cheese, and she's done it for 30 years because I know my wife. I've hung out with her and I've watched and learned certain things about her. That's what Jesus wants for us. So when we spend time in his word, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. And when we spend time in prayer, some of us say, I don't know how to do it. Yeah, there's those awkward first dates when you're dating and you don't really know what to say and your tendency is to ask how the weather is. Yep. But that's where the relationship starts. Mm -hmm. And so you sit down in prayer and you say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Teach me how to do it. Because it's it's the practicing the presence is more important than getting it right. Yeah, that's so good. It, it is like learning another language. It Just like, so like Rosetta Stone. So essentially what you're saying is First uh, John, Second John, Third John are your Rosetta Stone of your Bible. Yes. Where you can, where you can go in and uh, really start to understand the nature of the scripture. Yes. Now, here's the other thing. I, I watch Christians all the time struggle with this. They think that the picture perfect uh, goal for them is to be fluent and and love spending time in scripture, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship. But the truth of the matter is, is just how we're wired with different personalities. God wires our souls with different bents. And what you'll find is, is there's people that have what we call a sacred pathway. And man, their heart sings when they're out in nature or their heart sings when they're, uh, they, 
when they're in a worship service or they sing when they're in prayer or in the word. But if like for me, my, my natural spiritual breath is prayer. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable in prayer. Um, being in God's word would not have been so. That's been a learned activity for me. But so, so what is important is people aren't made to feel guilty because you would think, well, gosh, I've got to do everything equal. I need to spend an hour in the word, an hour in prayer, an hour in this, an hour in that. No, 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 no. That's, that's not going to happen. From our fact, if that happened, that would suck the life out of the relationship. Now you need some balance, just like you need balance in your diet. But if you're, if your sacred pathway is prayer, then probably 75% of your practicing the presence, remember that's the goal. The goal is not to discipline yourself and say, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. That would be a horrible relationship. So you, you first, you lean in and say, how has God wired me? Where's my bent? My bent's worship music. Well, then 75% of my quiet times are going to be listening to worship music and setting in his presence, practicing the presence where I might read one verse and I might say one simple prayer but I've added some vitamin C and vitamin D. But yeah. at the end of the day, I'm going to lean into how God wired me. I feel like every time we talk, it ends up gets getting turned back towards marriage. But I feel like this is such a great analogy. Is like so for me in marriage, like time together, I love. That's easy for me. That's natural. Like that fills my bucket. Sarah, her bucket gets filled by sitting down and having face to face conversation and talking and communicating. That's not natural for me. Now I could say, well, that's not how I express love. So I'm only going to do express love this way. That won't work. Correct. Like you, you have to have balance in that, but that means it's going to take some effort. Like I'm going to have to put forth some effort to say, okay, sweetie, let's talk, let's communicate, let's process our week, let's process our day. And that's where the relationship grows is when you say, okay, this is my natural bend. I love this. I can always go back to this. If I, if I'm tired today, I know that we can just sit and watch, watch a show on TV and hang out. That's going to be very easy for me. Yep. But that doesn't mean I can't, I, I can't neglect this. I need to still have this time where we're communicating and talking because it's just a different pathway. Even though it's not my normal one, it's still an important one. That, that You hit it. The same God that gave you and Sarah love languages that you figure each other out and she learns you and learns your love language. You learn hers and lean into hers. God knew that. And God created a love language in the way that we connect with him. And it would be a cruel God that would say, hey, Thane, I know that your love language is quality time, but I want you to spend all your time in acts of service or Yours is acts of service. Your heart sings for me when you're serving me in our children's ministry. But, oh, I really don't want you to do that. I want you to go over here and be all about gifts. (laughs) And God knows how he wired us. And we shouldn't feel guilty for leaning into the relationship in the love language that he created us for. So good. Oh, it's so good. Thank you, Pastor. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Hope you guys have too. Uh, That is all that we have for today. Join us next Monday for another episode of the Woodland Podcast.